Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from Luke 15. I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Our text law today. Again, law. A lot of law here recently. This time he's picking on the nerve of all of us. And, and, and you know, people say, I, 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 I don't like the law. I don't like the rules of God because they make people feel like they're bad people. And yet, if you're a good child of God and you understand God's rules, did you read Psalm 19, 119? I delight in your laws. Your rules are holy. Your precepts are good. And a person, Psalm 1 Blessed is a person who is like an oak tree that's planted in your laws and your precepts, and he knows right and he knows wrong. Blessed is that person who finds delight in the precepts and the rules and the commandments of God. Well, God is going to ask us we find delight today in finding the lost. And have you ever lost something that's precious to you? you? Kind of like the lost and found. And finally, when you find it, it's, it's you know, you're excited. Um, occasionally, I'll lose my wedding ring or something like that that's, you know, pretty important. And you feel, you feel lost without it. I remember we went to a national youth gathering. One of our kids, uh, we went to eat at McDonald's, uh, got off the bus. And while she was eating at McDonald's, she took her retainer out and she wrapped it in a napkin. And you can guess what happened there, right? And she threw away her retainer with all of her food. We got on the bus and we headed out and all of a sudden we hear a girl crying in the back and what's wrong? My retainer. I threw it away with my food. Well, of course, you know, we wouldn't have gone back, but she said her parents were going to kill her. And <laughs> we couldn't have a bloody little girl, so we turned around and we headed back and got to McDonald's and she Uh, They had taken all the trash out to the trash bin. I thought that would be it. Nope. That girl was desperate. She jumped into the trash bin, one by one opened up each bag, each plastic bag, delved through its depths, and she was in there for 20, 30 minutes going after bag after bag after bag after bag after bag until finally from the bowels of the trash bin we hear this high-piercing screech of joy. I found it! And we all celebrated with her. This morning, our theme, Finding the Lost. What's the chief purpose of the church? I mean, the main purpose. To find the lost, right? Why do we exist? Do we exist to care for one another? Well, yes, that's part of it, but saving the lost is God-pleasing work. Sharing our faith with those that are wandering is God-pleasing work. God calls us to reach out. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that was Jesus' goal, if that was Jesus' purpose, and we are the body of Christ, the church... What is the body of Christ supposed to be doing? What Jesus did. Seeking and saving the lost. Eating and drinking 
with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Finding the lost. That's the main mission. Now, here's the problem. Again, I told you it was going to be a collective nerve. We don't like doing it. Not only do we not like doing it, we will quite refuse to do it. And I understand that. We're kind of scared. It makes us uncomfortable. I don't want to be involved. After all, God's calling you to do it, not me. Right? Let me illustrate. There's an imaginary church. So put, put in your mind an imaginary church. This church decides to grow, and so, you know, they form an evangelism committee. And the evangelism committee gets together, and they say, you know what, we're going to teach the congregation to evangelize. And so they make a plan, and they share the plan with the congregation to the people. This is what you're going to do to go out into our community to share your faith. How do you think the plan was received by the congregation? Yeah, complete disinterest. No, that's why we created an evangelism committee. We created evangelism committee so that you guys would go out and do all the work for us. Because that's not something that the rest of us are interested in doing. Seeking and saving the lost, that's, that's not something that, that we have much, much interest in. Can you imagine such a congregation? You don't have to imagine, do you? It doesn't take imagination because we see it in our own churches in America, across America. People who come on Sunday sit in the pews, but they have no passion or desire for the lost. Is, are, are, is the nerve getting pinched yet? Getting a little irritated? You inherently know the answer. What Again, as this imaginary congregation shared the plan, was it received with a negative response or a positive response? And you inherently know the answer. Oh, it was received with a negative response. And I can tell you what the people said. Before we go looking to new members, we need to pay attention to our own. Before we pay attention to the youth, we need to pay attention to the elderly. Before we pay attention to the elderly, we need to pay attention to the youth. Others said, well, I like our church just the way it is now. Don't want to change a thing. And then someone summed it up best by saying, who wants strangers in our church after all? We should just stick to ourselves. And thus it is in God's church, in the flock of God. Sound about right? So much for the imaginary church. We don't have to imagine that at all, do we? Because we see it in our own congregation. Where does an attitude like that come from, though? Now, where does such an attitude, where is it developed from? Where, why does it exist in, in, the, in the congregation of the church of God, in the body of Christ? It's not a biblical attitude. In fact, it's, it's completely foreign to Scripture. Just look at Jesus. What did he do when he walked on earth? He ate with the sinners and drank with them. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the people in the church, they grumbled. This man is receiving sinners and eating with them. These social outcasts, these sinners, 
the self-righteous Pharisees hated that about Jesus. He loved everybody. He wanted everybody to be saved. And Jesus knew their thoughts, so he told them a couple parables. Shame on you for thinking the way you do. Well, here, let me tell you a story. There's a guy, the, the, there's a shepherd, and he has 99 sheep, and one of them gets lost. And what does the shepherd do? He goes out and he finds the one lost sheep, and then when he finds it, he rejoices. And he doesn't just tell his friends, he tells all his neighbors, he has a big party, and there's a celebration. Now, that's not the way we'd handle things. We take care of the 99, right? We in the church take care of the 99, and we don't even do such a good job of taking care of the 99. But they deserve to be ministered to, right? I mean, they're at least members. They at least confess Christ. They deserve our attention. They deserve God's favor. The lost sheep, let's, let somebody else worry about the lost sheep. The lost sheep, let God worry about the lost sheep. It's His problem, not ours, right? But what did the shepherd do? He went out and searched for that lost sheep, and upon finding it, he said, Rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep that was lost. Is that what we do as a congregation? Spend a lot of time rejoicing because we find lost sheep? We showed up just last week, didn't we? Woohoo! We got somebody, we brought them in. We found a lost sheep and they repented. Woo! Saved another one. Happens a lot in the church, doesn't it? Week after week, we can't, con we can't contain the joy that we have for all the lost sheep we bring in from the world around us. What does the text say about the 99? The lost are lost. I mean, they're, they're lost. But what about the 99? What key word does it use to, to describe you? Did you pay attention? Think. It says that we're all born as sinners. We are all born sinful. We're, we're in that group. But we're in the group that is repentant. We're the repentant sheep. The 99. Now, our text is clear. There is joy before God's angels over one sinner who repents. There is joy over the fact that you are here and you have repented. Of course, the word repent simply means in Hebrew. It's different in Hebrew and Greek. Same kind of idea. In, in Hebrew, it means to go in a direction that leads you away from the sinful living. That you do a 180. If this is the way, in, in disobedience, following against God's commandments, God wants you to repent. Follow His commandments. Find joy in His rules. Find joy in His laws. Find joy in His commandments. Find joy in His precepts. Listen to God's word. Blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Blessed are those people. And we're the sheep. We're the 99. In Greek, the word repentance simply means to change your mind. So we're the people of God who have seen our sin and we've changed our mind about all that and we say, you know what? Living in sin isn't a healthy thing. Dear Lord, forgive me all my sins. And we come to the Lord in repentance. I want to change. I, I, I want to turn away from those evil things. I want to live for you alone. I want to follow in your precepts. I want to follow in your commandments. I find joy and, and I meditate on all your rules. 
I celebrate in all that. That's holy, that's good, that's right. And yet there are sheep that are wandering. There are sheep who refuse to repent. And they live in sin and they don't care. They wander away and they refuse to change. They refuse to change their attitude about sin. And people do that by saying, you know what, I'm a sinner, I know that. I, I acknowledge I'm a sinner, but God forgives, I'm a sinner, we got a good deal. So I'll just keep on sinning and He can keep on forgiving. It's called cheap grace. And that's abusing the grace of our Heavenly Father. Those are sheep that are wandering, they're in danger. And then people are in one of two categories, either they're lost or they're wandering. There are the lost, and there's the found. We're the found ones. We're the ones that are blessed. We're the ones that have been forgiven. Our minds have changed in regard to the things of sin. We know what's wrong, and we know we've offended the Lord, and we and we lean on Jesus Christ for salvation, and we know His blood was sufficient, and we know He's the shepherd who cares for His sheep, and He picks us up and He scoops us, and He washes us clean in the waters of baptism, and we receive the blessings, the sacrificial death and resurrection of our Savior. Our sins have been forgiven. And yet there are strays out there. And there are strays wandering from the fold. Even today, people not in church here at First English. There are sheep getting lost in their sin. No need to repent, no need to change, no need to think about all that. They aren't safe. They're in danger of losing their soul for all eternity, and unless someone cares, they will be lost for all eternity. What's our job? Reach out and care for them. Seek and save that which is lost. Invite them. Welcome them. Is that what the church is doing? There's a man named Dr. William Odin, Dr. William Odin, and he studied the American church for the last 200 years. And uh, as he did his studies, he found something interesting. He said, the church used to be searching for the lost. That's why the church in the world grew so much. There was a time in the 1800s where the church people were going out in the communities and talking about their faith, bringing lost sheep, repentant people to church every Sunday. Woo! The congregation would celebrate. We found another one. Dr. Ogden writes, things have shifted. We've had a radical shift from the priority of saving lost souls to a priority of pastoral care within the flock. <laughs> These parables today show where the focus of God's church should be. Now, we must not care for ourselves only. There's nothing wrong with caring for people within the flock. But we must not become so good looking at our own navels that that's all we know is our own navel. We must look outside the church walls for the people that are not here. That's the mission. That's the mission field. And that's how Jesus saw things. He ate with the sinners. He ate with the outcasts. He ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the prostitutes. Now, can you imagine that? Eating with tax collectors and, well, more like prostitutes. 
inviting them to your table. Jesus demonstrates that his love for all sinners. And then when one sinner comes to repentance and changes his mind about how they're living and seeks salvation in the blood of Jesus, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. Those first English Lutheran church know that kind of joy? Jesus told another parable. A woman had ten coins. She lost one. It disturbed her, so she thought, oh, I'm going to go sweep. And she swept and she searched the house. Finally, she found the lost coin. And then she tells her friends and her neighbors, gets everybody together, and they say, rejoice with me, for the lost coin has been found. It took some effort. It wasn't easy finding the lost coin. But the discovery was well worth the effort. And Jesus suggests there are people in our lives, people that are lost, people that are wandering, wandering, neighbors, co-workers, family members, church members, wandering. What are we supposed to do with people like that? Let them drown in their sin? Let them walk in darkness? Let them die in unbelief? No, I know it takes a brave heart. I know it takes a courageous heart to talk about our faith, even especially in our culture today. Boy, for our high school kids, kids in school, you even let people know you believe in Jesus and see how they'll pick on you. How in the world do you share your faith with somebody who's going to attack you back? It takes a brave heart, a courageous heart. I'm scared too. I have to admit it, I'm, I'm scared to share my faith. I'm, I'm more than pleased to share it with you. But to a world that's opposed to the message, it's terrifying. But it's urgent that we understand the primary purpose of the church. We are here to search for the lost, to call sinners to repentance, and to welcome them into our Christian fellowship with open arms. And when one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. Now, you know Jesus came for you, don't you? You know He came as your good shepherd to scoop you up. You were lost. He found you in the waters of the holy baptism, and He welcomed you into His family, and He made you His own child. And He embraced you. With His forgiving love, He made you His own. He put you on His shoulders like the, like the sheep, like the shepherd in, in our parable. He put the sheep on His shoulders and carried them back to the flock. And He bore all your sins on His shoulders. And He bore all, all your burdens, all your wounds. And He made them His own. And then He suffered and died for you. Because He cares for you. And He, he carries you. He loves you. You are that valuable, that important to God. Chief of sinners though you be. God refuses to write you off. In our epistle lesson, Paul talked about that. He says, I'm the worst sinner that there is. And yet, God shows His mercy by choosing someone like me. I don't deserve to be chosen. But instead, God sees you the chief of sinners and He makes you the object of His love. He makes you the object of His saving. He makes you the object of His mercy. He makes you the object of His grace. He makes you the object of a saving love. And that's grace, my friends. That's amazing grace. And Paul talks about it. I thank Him, I thank God, 
who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he has judged me faithful. He appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. But I've received mercy. I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of my Lord overflowed with me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. For the saying is trustworthy, it's deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And Paul wrote this in the present test, of who I am, not who I was, but who I am the foremost, the chief of sinners. There's no self-righteousness in Paul. We're all lost. Jesus saves us. Praise God. Jesus saves you. Forgiven, appointed, put into His service. Our mission is Christ's mission. And Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. And as Christ's body, our mission is the same. Finding the lost. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.